Back at it again, the Bearcat Bounce Podcast, the BBP. And Aaron, I want you to find the greatest hit album for Queen. Throw that into the CD player on Spotify, whatever it is that you choose your music these days, and and, and blast the We Are the Champions, because that is what has happened. The Cincinnati Bearcats 2020 AAC Champions with a victory and a horrible weather day, drizzly. Terrible, but a last second field goal by Cole Smith through the uprights 27-24. Bearcats crowned champions. And yet again, Luke Fickle starts out by saying he wants to build a program that can compete for championships. And four and in, in year four. There, there we go. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. That's what I needed. There you go. And in year four, he's able to turn a four-win team in year one to a undefeated conference championship ball club. I mean, I tell you what, the game was sloppy. It was ugly. Yep. But in the end, they won. Yep. It uh, it was certainly a sloppy game. Um, but no, I mean, you talk about the turnaround that Luke Fickle's done here to go from winning four games and completely changing the culture um, I'm sure some of you out there remember the videos that came out when he got here, where he yep. was doing all the training at the wee hours of the morning and mm-hmm. just getting his team ready, whipping them up into men. And I'm sure there's still some pieces around here from those days. And, you know, now you get to see the culmination of all of his work that he's put into the recruiting classes and you, you're getting to see his guys. These are all his guys. Yep. And uh, it's, it's kind of been a thing of beauty and it's, Really unfortunate that the committee didn't see it that way. We will touch on that later, but let's first talk about the game. Obviously, like we've mentioned, it was uh, unideal weather conditions. Like 30, 34 degrees and rain. And, and no just a constant spit. Chad came up to the press box and said, it's not coming down hard, but it is just simply annoying. And that's that's one of those where, you know, you're playing in a game and you're when it, when it starts to reach the, the middle stages of the third quarter, you're going to say, gosh, when is this little drizzle rain going to stop? It is just simply annoying. But they were able to fight through the elements. They were, there were fans on hand. You could tell a difference at certain stages of the game. It did really feel like there was a, a presence from the nip at night crowd. Uh, the atmosphere walking in before the game was definitely stronger, definitely different as expected. And, you know, this is kind of one of those games where you go into it remembering how good the team was, the games leading up to UCF and through that comeback in Orlando. And all of a sudden you're telling yourself, okay, so is this same team going to pick up exactly where they left off? And I think in the first quarter you saw a little bit of nerves, a little bit of slow start, and then an interception by Jarrell White kind of got everything back on path. And it looked like everything was good and back to normal. How many times was Jarrell White injured last night? <laughs> we we also touched on this, and and you know what I I think it's a uh, I think it's part maybe he's tired. I think it's part uh, you know he doesn't seem to get injured after a big play by the team. You know it it seems like it's he'll get injured after Tulsa picks up two first downs and they pick up a quick eight yards on a first down and it's second and two. And before you know it, you look and he's on the turf and, and, and the, the medical team comes out and he bounces back up right away and he's back in two plays later. So 
you know, I think some of it might be that that senior savvy strategy out of him. I just just something I noticed. It seems that he was injured about fourteen times last night. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I you know, but it looked that like he had a stinger. What? It looked like he had a stinger. He did which, hold his arm at one point. Which you know, if you're dealing with one of those, yeah. every time you kind of you know ne- aggravate it, it, yeah, and it just depends on like. There's some of those that they're gone in five minutes. There's some of them that, you know, earlier in the year he lost James Wiggins for an entire game because of a stinger. Um, yeah, where he just one. couldn't he couldn't get the feeling back in his in his arm, so yeah. they held him out. Well, another time SMU. I saw a Tulsa player went right toward the uh, the gentleman area, and I think that was one of the times that he went down for a second. So, but that that interception by White on that drive that Tulsa was making where they were already at the Cincinnati 45 looking like they were, you know, picking up some momentum, you know, three first downs on that opening drive. Now that is exactly the senior type play that you expect. That is a play that this team has been able to make offensively, defensively and on special teams. And then before you know it, the offense gets the ball back and it's just like they, they, they picked up right where they left off. They needed that little bit of momentum. And then Des found Alec Pierce for a spectacular one-handed grab. That was very, very pretty. Uh, it yep. was, he, I mean, he went up the ladder. He was being held. I think the guy had him uh, like in, around the middle of his jersey, if I remember yeah. correctly. And, no flag. Uh, yeah, there, there was no flag. I mean, it, they, I will say the refs let the guys play for the most part. Right. Um, and that was kind of fun to see because they, they certainly had some bad blood between uh, the two teams anyway. Very chippy. But uh, yeah, no, he uh, he. It was a it was a beautiful, beautiful catch on a glaringly obvious pi. Yeah, I I mean that that one handed snag, I, like, and of course we'll we'll, we'll talk about Alex more as the uh, pod wears on. But I mean that one handed catch is is something that you really don't see too often. You know, it wasn't one of the Odell Beckham versions. It was kind of had to spin and twist his body real quick and kind of caught it on the side and was able to pull it in as he fell to the turf. Just a great catch. And then Drone Four kind of. Flash what he's going to be bringing next year for the Bearcats when he becomes the feature back with that 42-yard touchdown run. Then it kind of just looked like after that, you know, you get another stop defensively, you know, and, and you're able to to kind of play play strong defense where you aren't even allowing Tulsa to, to make it over to the Cincinnati side of the 50. And then before you know it, you get it back, a long drive and a field goal. And in the first quarter, Tulsa has been – horrible this year i believe they have scored a total of 12 points in all of their games combined i think this in the first quarter. Telecast too. yeah and they also have 14 turnovers coming into saturday night eight of those have been in the first quarter so they got nine turnovers out of 15 through the first quarter that they just had after Saturday. So that kind of maybe was something to be expected, but Tulsa, as they normally do, do as they do bounce back immediately, was able to kind of uh, correct the ship, if you will. Um, and in that second quarter, you know, uh, well, of course, in, in the previous drive, Alec Pierce had that big catch, another 45 yard, but then they got it to three and couldn't punch it in. Aaron, that was something that was a trend for the Bearcats throughout the entire game was getting inside of the 10 yard line, five yard line, and just struggling to find the end zone. But coming back, Tulsa drives in like the field, field goal 
were you kind of feeling a little uneasy at this time or what was kind of going through your head through that first quarter and beginning of the second? I went through a roller coaster of emotions throughout the game. Uh, There were certainly highs. There were certainly lows. You know, you see them at the end zone like that. And you've seen, I thought anyway, in recent games that Cincinnati was figuring out, oh, we have this plethora of tight ends that we can use in these Mm -hmm. types of situations. Right. And yet there was no sign of any of that tight end play in the red zone. And, you know, I, I feel like there were certainly situations where you could have, you know, maybe gone to uh, Bruno LaBelle being back or gone to Josh Wiley on a fade route or, uh, you know, even um, I don't, it, it just, it, it's frustrating when you see them do kind of the same things, even the trick play later on in the game, you're wondering what the hell they're, they're trying to do yeah. in, the, yeah. in the red zone. You know, in, in recent weeks when the Bearcats were playing, you saw they ran that, that, that bread and butter play, the Josiah DeGuara play where you have, the tight end in the flat, rolling in front of you. Dez has has the decision to throw it to the tight end, let him go, or he tells the tight end to go, and the tight end will go block, and Dez keeps it himself. Looks like Tulsa spent literally the whole season figuring out how to stop that because I can't recall one time that that play worked. Maybe Dez had like a 10-yard gain rushing on one of them, but aside from that, Tulsa blew it up every single time they went to it. And I think that kind of befuddled, you know, Coach Dan Brock when they got close to the end zone, kind of made him have to think a little bit harder. And that's what where they came up empty. It, you know my favorite exchange on Twitter last night? Let's hear it. I pointed that out. I said, Tulsa has done a great job blowing up the tight end play in the flat. Like, they've done a great job of taking that away. And like three people in my mentions, like, Got to give credit to Tulsa. And I was like, uh, that's what I was doing. I did. Like, that's exactly like, – how did you read that tweet and think I, like, wasn't giving credit to Tulsa? I was so confused. Like, that was the whole point of my tweet that Tulsa had figured out finally after three yeah. years, somebody figured out how to stop that play consistently. Sometimes yeah, you have I to spell they, it out to people. I think what they were doing, right, was just – Knowing that you can you can be physical inside of what three yards five yeah. yards right they they, they bullied just, the tight end and they were just blowing yeah just nailing the tight end taking him out of it and then just going straight for Dez. Well, they basically they basically committed what it looked like to me and I didn't I haven't gone back and and rewatched right. it right but it, what it looked like to me is they were committing three defenders to the play yeah. one for the tight end one for Dez and one kind of a like if Dez broke between. through. Yeah. yeah, one that was like kind of committed. If he passes it, I got the tight end. Yeah. If he runs it, I got like so they 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 overloaded the numbers on it and they blew it up. And Cincinnati tried to run it a couple a couple different because they've got a bunch of variations yeah. on that play. They tried to run a couple different variations of it and, and Tulsa was like, nah, baby. But I mean, I think Tulsa committed so heavily to stopping the tight end that it actually took Zayvon Collins out of the game. Oh, he was non-existent. One, one solo tackle, one assisted tackle. Two tackles, and I think one quarterback hurry maybe, and nothing else. And if you saw, he got blown up. Not really blown up, but kind of manhandled by Ryan Montgomery on a, yeah. on a quarterback keeper that Dez had. I mean, so if you're doing apples to oranges on that one, it, it's Dez all the way, but. You know, now I, I jinxed it though. I jinxed it 
uh, on the BCJ podcast Thursday Same. because I, I couldn't remember Reeves' name. I just kept calling him number 11. He's good. So I, I disrespected him. I kept, I kept saying, I can't remember the dude's name, number 11, the other linebacker. It's really, really good next to Collins. He doesn't get any credit because Collins gets all the credit, but I can't remember his name. And I think he listened to the podcast and he's like, you didn't remember my name. Right. And he was a monster. He was every, he was everything that <laughs> Collins was supposed to be yep. yesterday. Yep. Him and him and player were outstanding until, till the end. Well, they, they did make sure on the telecast to mention him as a Heisman hopeful. Um, Collins. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, he's the best defensive player in college football coming into the game. They mentioned that as well. Um, you couldn't they, find him with a search warrant last night, though. They they they, did, they certainly did salivate over some Zavin. You you couldn't do it against Navy either. He kind of finished the the season a little rough in the last two games, but he was fantastic all season. Obviously, going to be a day one draft pick and uh, going to be a, a a player in the NFL for a long time to come. But Aaron, after Tulsa was able to get that field goal, it then Cincinnati got the ball back and. For the first time in a while, you really saw miscommunication and frustration along the offensive line. Kind of a free release on the outsides. Des Des gets the ball stripped from him, recovered by Tulsa on Cincinnati's 28-yard line. And before you know it, it's it's, it's looking like, uh uh-oh, this is going to be a game. And I wonder if the moment was too big for the true freshman starting at center or if it was just the the – I don't the yips. I don't know. I mean, he just there were so many penalties on the offensive line. Yeah, throughout the game. Yeah, and you know, of course, Tulsa recovered that ball, scored a few plays later, all running the football, which we'll touch on later. They 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 were able to get it done on the ground, second most rushing yards against the Bearcats this season. But yeah, to to your point, that very next drive for Cincinnati. Tulsa got a delay of game, a defensive delay of game, which I have really never seen called. No. And Chad, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe that was because of the, was it the, 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 the fake it's mimicking, mi- mim- mimicking signals, right? You could yeah. see it. The first four false starts. I think whoever was close to Harper was doing it because they were aggressively trying to call something out to the officials. That wasn't a simple, he jumped, not me. Yeah. It was like, they're doing something. And then Luke called the official over and laid into him. Yep. So clearly something was happening. And then they called a false start actually. Yeah. And the guy came over from by the Cincinnati sidelines and went to the, the referee and told him, you know, something was going on. And then from there, it mostly stopped. Um, And then a couple of people have pointed out uh, they were working on the sideline in the second half on kind of a silent snap count where the guard reaches over and taps the center. And that's when the ball is snapped. Right. And at the end, in the timeout, right before they got the, the, the jump on fourth and two, they took that out. So when the guard reached over and tapped the center, Tulsa jumped it because they thought that was – they thought right. they had it figured it so out. So pretty. And that's – they got him. Got him! Yeah, yeah we're, we're definitely going to talk about that. So my thought throughout all of that was how 
Jake Renfro all season has been steady Eddie. Right. He has he he's not he's not a vocal guy. He's he's someone that goes out, gets the job done, and gets it done very well. Um, and you saw him a couple times get very angry, and not not just a simple "that's my bad," but like Chad said, pointing like viciously at at Tulsa, saying, "No, that's that's not me." Right. You know, so and there there was definitely some of that going on. A lot of people talked about that. You know, it, it was asked to Coach Fickle in the press conference, and of course. Fickle joked immediately and said, that's all in the quarterback. And Des, Des was there, laughed about it, said, yeah, that's all my fault, all my fault. But there was definitely some sort of that, you know, shenanigans going on. And eight flags, eight false starts against the offense. And Aaron, they have been doing such a great job all season of avoiding that. And when they have eight flags, you know, either eight flags, sure, four flags, Blame it on rust and, and layoff. Right. Five flags, maybe blame it on the weather and the fans being back. But eight flags, something's going on. It was it was certainly strange to watch even from home because, you know, you're wondering for this team that didn't have this issue at all at any point really during the season to just see this happening over and over. It was frustrating as a fan. So, you know, that the coaches are going through it. And, you know, to your point, yeah, they're they're – obviously with something else going on. But either way, it uh, it ended up where Cincinnati was able to get the ball back, and it was one of those end-of-the-half scenarios where they have done this in numerous games. They come out in that second quarter, and they are able to string together back-to-back-to-back or back-to-back scoring opportunities and kind of get a little bit of separation heading into halftime. And they were able to do that. Desmond Ritter found Alec Pierce again for this time for a 36-yard touchdown reception. So Pierce finishes the first half with four receptions, 126 yards, and a touchdown. And that what is – go ahead. What do you think he was saying to uh, his defender there? Allie his, Green? Yeah. It was – I mean, I, I was going to get to that. But, yeah, no, the fact that it was Allie Green, I wonder what he said to him in the end zone there as he just roasted him on that route. He might have said something really scientific, you know, some, some something really smart that maybe made Allie Green think, you know, and uh, because we've, we've never we've never seen that from Pierce before. No, no. Him just talking smack. Well, we've never seen him have that reaction to anything before. Right. Like he normally he'll like he'll talk a little bit, but it's like, you know, jogging back, not making like you don't really get any body language out of them. You don't really get any feel for like something's going on he he went after him yeah i mean caught the touchdown turned around immediately yeah and 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 boy he roasted him yeah they they put him in motion ally green played he played outside leverage and i don't know if he was expecting the double move like what he was expecting yeah but if you go back and look at that route he just went straight. Like yeah. he just ran straight past him for a touchdown. That's, yeah. And Des didn't even, I mean, that was just pitch and catch. Yeah. There was yeah, no, there was, no. There, there was no nothing. It was unbelievable. And he just, boom, see ya. You know, you say it's pitch and catch, but the, at the beginning of the season, because it, yeah. At the beginning of the season, it, it, it was not. 
just shows you just just the way that the team has been able to mold together. Everyone's been clicking on the same page, and and I think this is officially the first game that Alec Pierce was as close to 100% as he's been all season. Well, you know, it, obviously, making injuries, made, yeah. It but, just made, it just made the wait worth it. Like it was just so yeah. good to see him in that moment, knowing that we waited all season long to have him back on the field, and you know it was just kind of a thing of beauty to have him back out there and, and doing that. You saw glimpses against Houston. That was the game that he aggravated his shoulder. You saw glimpses throughout, you know, other times here and there, but this was the first official game. I, I mean, that catch against, it, it was Houston, right? The the diving backwards catch that he had for I the touchdown. Uh, you know, that was phenomenal. But this was his game. And, and it's kind of a coming out party again, like a reintroduce yourself for what's going to be hopeful to come at, against Georgia and the Peach Bowl. We'll talk about that. And then, of course, next year as well, if uh, both Bez and Alec are back together next year. But after that touchdown, it's 17-10. You're thinking, hey, defense gets a stop, gets the ball back, maybe enough time to do something with it. And uh, that exact thing happened. But it was a fumble for Trey Tucker. and. It was just another scenario where the weather and right. things of that sort kind of, you know, and, and the unfamiliarity of being hit hit physically by another team kind of jarred the ball loose. And But the defense comes up strong. They're able to stop Tulsa, force a field goal that is missed by Zach Long, as you mentioned, Aaron, one of the better kickers in the conference. And uh, he just completely slipped on that one. And it, it, it went short. Before you know it, you head to the lockers with the score 17-10, what were you thinking at that point? I mean, I was still jarred at the missed field goal because, I mean, you know that the conditions are not great. Right. And, you know, that just as easily could have been Cole Smith on our end yep. doing the same thing anytime he's out there taking a field goal. So, you know, I mean, it was just I, – I just I remember sitting there with my mouth kind of open like, oh, that, that just happened. I, yeah. I didn't feel good going into the half because I know that we had missed some opportunities where we could have scored more points. Uh, we, the, you know, Zach Smith and uh, hit the offense for Tulsa was looking better than I gave them credit for. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, the defense for, for Tulsa as well, you know, they were looking pretty stout. They were shutting down a lot of things that I, I mean, for Trey Tucker to fumble, like that's, that's completely out of character for him. It's usually, Oh, Trey Tucker made an amazing move or like right. his, fir his first return of the game where he goes yep. you know, a little bit farther than what you thought was going to happen. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's just like, what's going on here. I, I never felt comfortable at any point in the game. And, and then it kind of started again in the, that first drive for Tulsa. Sure. They didn't get any points, but they were able to move the football and kind of swing position a field position in their direction. Then of course, Cincinnati has it on their own, you know, 21 yard line. Ball start right away. You know, it, it's almost as if no adjustments. And, and, and you know, just that, that just that trigger mentality from last season was trickling in the entire time I saw a yellow flag on the field. And man, like last season was horrible for that. And last night kind of brought back that those memories a bit. But then before you know it, Tulsa gets the ball back, three straight plays, three straight rushes, and it was a weird drive, Aaron. They were able to get the touchdown to Eric Price, Prince, pardon me, every single carry he had 
what looked like it was pretty much wide open to get through the line. It looked as if the defense wasn't set. I just wasn't sure what was going on, and they tied up at 17. Yeah, I don't know if they were tired. I don't know if there was a miscommunication on the defense's end, but it was it was almost like I don't I don't know if you watched the Ohio State game earlier in the day, yeah. where it was like, oh, we have a really good running back, and we should probably run the ball a lot. It mm-hmm. felt to me as if uh, <laughs> as if Tulsa kind of had that same Ohio State moment where they were like, oh, we should run the ball because it's effective. Yeah, uh, it, it was strange. I agree, but. As this team has done all season, they respond. And it, it, it was not without a couple of, of hiccups along the way, but it started again with a good Trey Tucker return, as you mentioned, you know, a 30-yard return. He just seemed to have that extra burst and that, that ability to find an open crease here and there. And then, of course, just, you know, Dez complete to, to Jerome Ford, a nice little, you know, misdirection play that found Ford on the other side. He has the catch and run for 15 yards. Then we reintroduce Josh Wiley with his lone reception of the night, the 27-yard catch and run, a similar type misdirection, you know, screen pass set up on the left side that he's able to, to turn up field with and use his athleticism like he does. And then back-to-back designed runs for Desmond Ritter, and he finds the end zone for his sixth straight game with a touchdown pass and a touchdown run as the only player in FBS to do that this season. So I was you know, nervous. Though. Uh, I was so nervous on that touchdown because it looked, I mean, I don't know what you saw from the, Oh, I, I saw zero. I was texting people saying, is it a touchdown? Tell me. I, did, I didn't know. Like I was so nervous because I know how Cincinnati, how things go in Cincinnati with all yeah. Cincinnati sports, whether it be, right the Reds, whether it be the Bengals, whether it be Kenyon Martin and all of that, you know, I mean, we all know how Cincinnati sports go, but uh, yeah, he, I was really nervous that it was going to be a touchback and it was going to be Tulsa's ball. And that's going to be how that drive ends. Um, But the more I watched it and thank God the call on the field was what it was a touchdown because otherwise I don't know that you could have overturned it at all, regardless of what was called on the field. Yeah. That would have been obviously, like you said, the most Cincinnati thing where you all of a sudden are thinking, okay, well, um, this is not looking good. Right. Uh, Things are going the exact opposite way, but still touchdown was good. 24, 17. And then you saw the, the resurgence of my Jay Sanders. And I was kind of watching Sanders the entire game because I, I just think he is a fantastic football player. He is, he's someone that, you know, I said it in my recap article that he plays chess while the opposing offensive line plays checkers. And what I mean by that is he it looks like he sets his defender, his, his opposition up the entire game by trying to go around outside. And you saw that a lot where he yep. does go around outside, forces Zach Smith to step up into the pocket. But Smith was able to make a couple of plays in the pocket. But on this drive, my Jay. Started upfield for a second, quick move back inside, sacks Zach Smith for a loss of eight. And then the very next play, my Jay Sanders right in the face of Zach Smith again, forces a, a forced throw, and there's Darian Beavers for the interception. And, you know, we've talked all season long about how good my Jay Sanders is. And, you know, even in the conference championship even in the fact that it was raining and it was not ideal playing conditions 
you know, yeah. the, the, the leaders of this team continued to step up in the face of adversity. And you saw that with Dez, you saw that with uh, Maje, you saw that with Jarrell White. I mean, you saw it with Alec Pierce. So, you know, this is just another standard case of leaders step up when they have to lead. And it was, you know, Maje being Maje. Also of note, what, three times Joel DeBlanco just absolutely smashed Zach Smith as he was sure throwing did. the football. Yep. And, yep. and those were, those were, uh, those were as confident of blitzes as I've seen all season in terms of like when he decided to go, it was full blast right through Zach Smith's chest. There was no hesitation. There was no, you know, he just went straight through him. I, I thought DeBlanco had a really good game. He did. You know, I, I thought in a couple I, plays, though. I, I appreciate be, you agreeing. Well, I'm actually disagreeing <laughs> right now. I'm actually going to show you a little, little side of disagreements. I thought on some plays you saw the where the Joe DeBlanco of the earlier in the season would have would have stepped into the hole and gotten tackles, sure tackles. They weren't good in the run game on the runs. last night. Yeah, they weren't. They, they didn't did. fit well. He kind of had a couple arm tackles that, that went – to the wayside he had a couple where he wasn't feeling at the exact time that he needed to i think that's kind of how tulsa was able to get the big runs but yeah aside from that he was he had some very very big plays i definitely think some of that was was the layoff and because yeah. they just they didn't have their legs the way that yeah. they normally have their legs yeah and th that's that's your steps you know you're half a step slow when you're half a step slow you don't meet somebody in the hole head on you meet them with your shoulder and your arm and and they run yeah. through it yeah. yep I agree. Oh, I agree. Agreeing with me. You thank are. you for agreeing with me. Uh, <laughs> I wonder too. I mean, as you bring that up, though, I wonder too how much actually having COVID for some of these players affected their play on the a field. Lot. Right. I mean, <laughs> so you 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 know, I mean, let's not forget that being factored into <laughs> yeah. all this as well. And yeah. it was look, I, we started we started to get a sense last night of it. There, it was a lot. Like yeah. my understanding is, if you count players and staff and uh, support staff in the whole nine yards. We're talking about it's 70 plus 70, 70 plus cases of COVID. Oof. That is, that is a super spreader event. Like it spread fast, really, really fast. So yeah. they had a lot of guys that, that spent two weeks, not able to do anything. You know, when you're, that, that's a difference. I don't think people really understand. Like when you're contact traced, you're isolated, but they give you, stuff to work out because you're not symptomatic you're just sitting in a hotel room or, or in your dorm or whatever you know in the hotel or the apartment whatever the case right. may be like you work out it's not but if you have it but if you have it you're pretty much laid up like you're shut, there's, yeah, you're shut down. yeah you're shut down you're you're shut down for 10 days at least so um a much different this wasn't a, a case of a lot of contact tracing it was a case uh, of a lot of COVID, <laughs> a lot of, a, a lot of COVID. And uh, they still, they fought through it, man. Like that, you're right, Aaron, that, that can't be an easy thing to just take two weeks off from all activity, right. have what uh four day lead up to get back in shape. And then, and then game prep starts. Yep. Cause that's basically what they had, like not fun. Kudos to them for and they uh, face a really good team. I, I mean, Tulsa is well. I, what I noticed Tulsa, is they they were so physical. Is what mm -hmm. I it was it was probably the most physical team I saw Cincinnati play all year. I thought Houston they, was pretty physical. Um, 
I thought, I mean, honestly, UCF, when they were kind of really on fire in the beginning of the game, was very physical. But this was by far the most physical team that Cincinnati played all season. And with with the layoff, like you said, Aaron, with with the COVID situation, obviously, you're not you're not going to be up to that physicality right away. And and as the game wears on, it's just going to wear on you as well. Sure. And you know, I I just want to point that out because you know we so quickly we forget that it wasn't just you know bye weeks or you know that I mean I, I know that the pandemic's become. I mean, pretty much a, a staple in everyone's lives at this point. So it's easy to forget without pointing out the fact that, oh yeah, these guys actually had the disease. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, it's like, oh no, a couple of people had it. We all got to stay out. But no, this was like Chad said, a, a very tough situation, but luckily everyone came out better. On the right side. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is the best thing out of it. Um, but you know, this, this drive offensively that they had, at the end of the third, heading into the fourth quarter for the Bearcats was another one where they were right there inside of the, at the Tulsa 13 yard line, first down and 10. They run, they run incomplete pass, fourth and two at the Tulsa five. They keep the offense on the field, Aaron, and they. You're not. Out. Come on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold yes, yes, yes. You're not going to talk about the most important play of the game. You're just going to skip it. What? Third and nine. Oh, the third and nine. Start play. of okay. start of the drive. Third and nine. About to go three and oh, out. No, 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 no. And, Chad, Chad. Okay, you're we're not, not there, there yet. yet. Okay, we're not okay, there my yet. Bad. That's this my, is my bad. This my is bad. beginning of the fourth. Beginning okay, of my bad. Fourth. My bad. My bad. That's me. That's on me. That's on me. Hand up. Hand up. That's on me. Hand up. That's on me. And I have to disagree with you again. That was not the biggest play of the game. Yes, it was. I, I, That's fine. Brent, 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 Brent. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I'll, we'll save it. We'll save game it when we talk goal, about it. It's kind of big. but uh, No, but I'll explain why that's I know. the biggest play of the game. No, I when agree. When we get there. I, when we get right. there. Okay, so, Aaron, fourth and two. Yep. Goal to five-yard line. You send your, the AAC Offensive Player of the Year to the outside, thus taking him completely out of the play. Yep. You set Jerome Ford up in the backfield for a very obvious run. And Ford takes it. Tulsa pins their ears completely back, has two defensive linemen in the backfield immediately. Ford does a fantastic job almost getting out of it, but still gets tackled, turnover on downs. I mean, I was yelling at the TV at that point. I mean – what are you doing there? It was the last thing you want to do is show your hand. So when you run a play like that, it, it completely shows to your point, we're running the ball. No one's going to trust Ford there to throw the ball. And I think everybody knows that. Why would you do that when you have Desmond Ritter anyway? Right. So it was just, what are we doing here? And again, it was just another situation where you're in the red zone and can't cross the goal line. That's a situation where you need to score and yeah. to not, score there was horrendous yeah and and i kind of just like it's like that is the exact play situation that des you know spread spread the the field with receivers and let des kind of look for someone open if the option's not available then he he's no so one. great at finding the open slot and just picking up two yards that's all you needed was two yards but yeah. Luckily, it didn't end up to hurt them in the end as that very next drive, as Chad mentioned, Joe DeBlanco had one of those hits where you go, ooh, 
and then the ball's in the air, and it's almost intercepted, so you go, ah, but it fell incomplete. The next play, MyJ Sanders got the sack where he kind of, you know, ragdolls Zach Smith into the end zone, but, of course, forward progress puts him out of the three. I I just think if you're going to take someone down like that, just give them a safety. But either way, <laughs> they punt it. Ryan Montgomery, a fantastic return. One, one of those returns where you were like, whoa, what's going on? Oh, whoa. He ducked out of the tackle, found a crease on the left side, ran across the sideline. I mean, when you have the the returners like a Trey Tucker and a Ryan Montgomery to set you up perfectly, and then that next drive, Aaron, offensively, they just did it again. I, you know, they they got back again. Second, uh, sorry, first and ten, Tulsa twelve yard line. Yep. Des rushed for four yards. Next play, a false start is called. Then after that. It was a an errant snap that was jumped on by Dez. Then a pass to Jerome Ford for nothing in the missed field goal blocked for Cole Smith from 37 yards out. And it just seemed like, okay, this is a game where everything is going the wrong way for the Bearcats. Yeah, and, you know, kind of we alluded to it earlier. You know, when we watched Tulsa miss a field goal, uh, you know, this wasn't a slip in the in the turf, but, you know, this was a, a w- another wasted opportunity when you're in the red zone and can't put points on the board. So, you know, I mean, it again, I never felt comfortable at all at any point yeah. <laughs> during this game. And then that brings up what, what Tulsa is. You've written about them each week, how resilient they are. You know, they if some sometimes in college basketball, there's that luck factor. And I think that this season, if that had to be the case, I, I would bet you Tulsa's right at the top in the luck factor. Especially at and, that game against ECU. Yeah, exactly. And then in this one, they, they pick up a first down on a third down. Good job. Then that very next play, Aaron, a, a deep ball, which, by the way, Zach Smith has a cannon. Right. And he, he launched that one. Looked like it was going to be intercepted. I think by all three players Hicks. at some point had it in their possession. And, and it just fell right into the hands of, of Sam Crawford. That's Sox, like, Sox even had a chance to pick that one off. I, I mean, that that is just something that happens in banana land. And it happened on Saturday night in the most crucial part of the game. I love I, banana land use right there. <laughs> I mean, it was it's literally that is a play that you see on on a Madden glitch highlight reel. It's <laughs> it's just horrible. It, yeah, and again, I keep saying it, but I just never felt comfortable. And when you see stuff like that happen, you're just like, oh, 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 no. But still a third down. They were able to find Juan Carlos Santana so smooth. I just had to say that, Juan you, Carlos you, Santana. You did um, it. And uh, he, uh, you know, that was, that was also a play on a third down where it kind of just looked like, wow, he squeezed that into – his receivers, like literally just placed it right on his body. Just a great pass. And I, for a second, thought in my head, what if Tulsa goes for two here? I would have had everything. They have nothing to lose. They have, you know, it, it just seemed to me like a moment for them to go for two. Um, they did not. It would have been interesting if they did. Would have put a little bit more pressure on the Bearcats if they were able to convert the two-point conversion. But either way, that set up one last chance for Desmond Ritter to further 
enhance his his stardom and for a couple other players to really put their place in Cincinnati football history. Yeah, and, you know, what a drive that was, as I'm sure you're going to get ready to get into here. Yeah, I'm diving into it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to dive right into it. First off, starts off great Trey Tucker, 30-yard return. Trey Tucker, again, that just sets you up at the 32 instead of setting you up inside your own 20 or, you know, it, that immediately gives you that, that extra boost. Then that very first play, six yards to, to Jay Sean Jackson, you're feeling all right. Then a false start happens. And James Hudson said, that's on me. That's on me. Then an incomplete pass, and it is third and nine. You're looking up at the clock, and you're saying, wow, there's a lot of time left. You're thinking Tulsa has been moving the football so well, and they have one of the best kickers in the conference on their team. This is not good. Yeah, I wanted to throw up. <laughs> but- you're, looking at, you're looking at giving the ball to Tulsa there at – 25, 30 yard line, somewhere in there. 33 yard line. Yep. And, and no, so I'm saying punt. if you punt, yeah. A James Smith punt is generally 45, 45 to, 46 yeah. yards. Right. Um, the beauty of James Smith is the consistency. Yeah. And that it's a fair catch every time. Like, so right. you can, you can almost set your clock to a 45, 46, 47 yard kick, which puts them at the 25 around yep. there, 25, 30 yard line, somewhere in there with three minutes on the clock and they just passed to Alex Pierce. That pass to Alex Pierce to me is the biggest play of the game because it, it changed momentum instantly. Yeah. Well, and, and it just, it just gave you a chance. if, If you kick, if you don't convert that, you have to punt, you are giving Tulsa the chance and yeah, you're, you're putting Tulsa in position to win the game. In and these I, situations, you just want to have the chance. Just another situation where the leaders on this team step up when they have to. Yep. I mean, it was Des going to the best receiver on the team. Yeah, and you, and then you found it instantly. Right after that, it was complete pass to Jerome Ford. Complete pass to true freshman Tyler Scott. How about that? Tyler Scott on the field in the biggest drive of the season catches a seven-yard pass for a first down. Then after that, it was all about jockeying for position to set up. Well, first off, they had that fourth down and two. And Aaron, what what percentage of you was saying, send out Cole Smith, let's see what he can do with a minute and four seconds left. Fourth down and two on the Tulsa 24-yard line would have set up a 41-yard field goal. All of me was saying, what are we doing? Why aren't we kicking it here? And again, I mean, I kind of go back to, well, we had one block. We saw Tulsa slip on the turf, and I would have hated to see this game go into overtime with something, either one of those things happening. And Chad mentioned pregame that Cole Smith was pulling a lot of kicks. He missed every kick but one. Oof. And then it comes out in the postgame, Cole Smith tweaked his hamstring in practice. Groin. Groin. Groin, Groin. yep. Tweets is growing in practice. And I didn't notice this, but but some other media members, I, Justin, I believe, was who asked about it. He he wasn't handling the kickoff duties, which I didn't even notice. So props to them. But, you know, and, and so he did not even have the strength to be handling the kickoff duties and the field goal kicking duties. So, I, I mean, I understand the fourth down gamble there again. 
But I still think maybe if they did not draw Tulsa offsides, they take one of their timeouts and they talk about it even more. So, um, but they, they had discipline, you know, Des said in the huddle, he pointed at, he looked at every single player and told them, Hey, just do not move. Just stand still. Do not move. Luckily, as Chad said, they do a little trickery, little hard counts. They draw Mr. Player off sides for the first down. And it was just so funny. That's one of their best players. <laughs> It's yeah, a monster. First yeah. team yeah. all AAC. Just coming off a 12 tackle, 4.5 tackle for loss, two sack game against Navy. He's Oof. he is a beast, and for him to be the one that that got that, it was just kind of chef's kiss. Mwah. Like right. it was, it was just it was beautiful, and the fact that they used what they were doing all game long against them in that situation, it was just, I mean. Tip of the hat. Yeah. And I hate to be the guy that has sympathy a little bit, but I did like what Coach Phil Montgomery said, the uh, Tulsa head coach after the game. He just mentioned how, you know, you cannot judge that one play. You cannot put that against player sure and, and, and things of that. <laughs> which uh, sure you can. I, yeah, no, no. I, uh, I think he did enough up to that point to get a pass, however sad it was that it happened. But – and then after that, that was when the jockeying happened to set Cole Smith up in the best part of the field that he enjoys. And he came out and as confident as, as you know, you can be, he went up and split the uprights from 34 yards out. The team rushes the field. Bearcats are the champions. Say it again. Bearcats are the champions. I just love the, the way that sounds. And the way the team ran on the field, you know, like that's so my point of view and however bad it is for me to say this at certain times I was in my head saying, gosh, I wish they would have would be showing how much more dominant they are than this. They they don't make this many mistakes. They've been so on key and locked in all season. They they aren't playing the great defense against the run that they normally do, you know, thinking like, OK, that, you know, they should be up by more just going through all that in my head. But when that kick went through the uprights and the way that the team ran on the field and just the happiness and the celebration that they had just showed me, Hey, you know what? None of that matters. Just the fact that they were able to come out with a win in the elements with all the adversity they faced, that is, is the part that needs to trump all, you know, who cares about style points? Who cares about, you know, going out and, and showing the country how dominant you are. I mean, you just won a championship. And, and I think that, that that kick going through the uprights and the reaction from the entire team just really, really made it all set in for me. And it was awesome to see. It was good to see, you know, the team actually threw Cole Smith up on their shoulders and he was kind yeah. of being touted as the guy because he won the game for them. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was good to see Dez in his interview after the game um, show us, us a side of him that I don't know that anyone, just your fans have, have gotten to see. And just him completely losing control of his emotions and crying. And, um, you know, it was, it just got to see, uh, you know, that little bit softer side of the, of the leader of this team. And, you know, people were calling for his job in week three. Yeah. Um, So, so, you know, it's certainly been a quite a, a ride for everyone, fans, for, for the team, for the players, the, the coaches, um, it was it was just really good to see an ending like that. Um, getting to see 
raising that hardware as as they were crowned the actual champions. Uh, it was a thing of beauty. Yes, it was. Um, you know, and then I I saw one tweet. I forget who tweeted it. I believe it's uh, an Ohio State writer or something. He's, he, he said, you know, Desmond Ritter in tears, giving an emotional talk with That's Mo Bamba playing in the background would be <laughs> – how I choose to remember this yeah, 2021 or 2020. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, it just, just a fantastic win, fantastic turnaround story from, you know, 2016, 17. I, it, it just is just, this team is special and you could see it in, in the senior leaders. You can see it in everyone else who's bought in that's, you know, underclassmen, but today was kind of just a rude awakening. You know, it's like, okay, last night you are champions, you know, Des wins the MVP with just a gritty performance. And, you know, he's the only player in all of FBS to have six straight games with a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. The, the defense made huge plays all throughout the game. And then, of course, your special teams makes the game-winning play. You know, it's, it's just all three phases are clicking. And then you turn on the TV today and you watch that selection show and you just – it just makes me sick. Um, and you know, I don't want to talk about this too much because we could spend another hour just you yep. know, going off on it, but just the, the way that, that people t- like, okay. So I break it down like this, <laughs> who, who has the big 12 played out, out of conference? Uh, if, if you don't know, I have it. Not a the whole sun lot belt. People. Pretty much. They, they, they literally Oklahoma played Missouri state who is in, in the FCS. Texas played UTEP, who is the 125th team in the SCP Plus. Louisiana beat Iowa State 31 to 14. West Virginia beat Eastern Kentucky, who is in the FCS. Arkansas State beat Kansas State 35 to 31. Arkansas State is 98th in the SP Plus, and they lost to Memphis. Texas Tech played Houston Baptist. Coastal Carolina smacked Kansas. 38 to 23. And then of course that Oklahoma state Tulsa game where Tulsa had every chance to win that ball game. And, and the 16 to seven score is not indicative of how close Tulsa was throughout that game. I, I mean, and so you're going to tell me that the way that they're performing in their own conference makes them just such a great team because they're performing well against the big 12. When the big 12, we have no idea how good the teams really are in the big 12 because they have not played anybody outside of themselves. And you can say the same thing for the ACC and you cannot say it for the SEC because they didn't play out of conference and same for the big 10. And that's where I think this is an agenda, obviously. And the fact that you have the ability to say, well, we like this team because they beat three top 25 teams in a poll that we set up and we select who those top 25 teams are. You know, it's just, it's just horrible. The whole thing is horrible, and I think you've seen enough media members talk about it where the noise is really getting loud about how terrible this whole entire thing is. I mean, and Gary Barta is not good at hiding what they're doing. He can't answer the media with any type of clarity, any type of transparency for what they're doing. And he just, Do you hear what he said? He makes everything worse. Do you hear what he said? He said – the only way for oh, a group goodness. of five team to make the playoffs is to do what BYU was supposed to do this year 
and schedule five power five teams on their non-conference schedule. What? It's uh, an impossibility. Hey, Gary, you sorry, Dan idiot. <laughs> they only have four non-conference games, you jackass. But hey, hey, hey Gary. I'm telling you, but the beauty of it is he didn't realize he did it. But that's him telling you, we're never, we're never letting you in. Are you kidding? Right. You have to actually do the impossible, actually do the impossible to get in. Well, and yeah, GFY, I mean, you know what I'm, that means, Aaron? GFY? Super aware. I've been okay. told that once or twice. That's what Gary Barta can do. GFY. Well, and then you take into consideration, I know we talked about it um, offline, but you know, you have ADs from, Florida, from Texas A&M, from, uh, I'm missing one. Um, Oklahoma. 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 Thank you. So you have these ADs that are actually on this committee this year. So how, come on. There, there is no way that it's just, it's just coincidence that a three-loss Florida team is above this undefeated Cincinnati team, even still? Come on, man. And the also, they said – they said the reason that three lost Florida is ahead Cincinnati because they were watching that game at the same time. And Florida looked better than Cincinnati as they were losing their third freaking game. Uh, their defense wasn't even on the field. That's another thing. Break. That's another thing. You So the whole season clearly doesn't matter. No. Oklahoma lost to Kansas State. And I hate to be the guy that does the transitive property thing. But Kansas State lost to Arkansas State. Arkansas State got beaten by Memphis. Same thing with Iowa State, losing to Louisiana. Same thing with Florida, who now has three losses. They lost to Louisiana, and Louisiana was 13 spots behind them. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing is also this. In the ACC, you saw Liberty run rampant and, and take off two ACC teams, almost beat a third, and... Now, all of a sudden, a North Carolina's win against Virginia Tech is supposed to look good, but Liberty beat Virginia Tech. Uh, I, I, it's you know, So where does Liberty stack up against the ACC? To your point there, one of the points that they tried to make on the show was that Cincinnati's players just aren't the same. They aren't, they aren't built the same. They're not as big. They're not as yeah. fat. What are you talking about? I've been on the sidelines for Ohio State, and I've been on the sidelines for Cincinnati, and – they just aren't the same. Where did Jim Mora coach before he got excommunicated into broadcasting? Uh, UCLA. Yeah, Jim Mora recruited all the players at UCLA that Cincinnati kicked their ass two years in a row. Right. And it doesn't make sense. And also, so so another thing is, okay. Um, you look at it, and, and I don't want to spend much more time on this because we can talk about basketball real quick, obviously. Um, it was but, real quick. Yeah, I'd rather spend more time on this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just, it just boggles my mind how Gary Barta, and, and I know it's not Gary Barta the person that is saying these things. I know that he is just the face of a committee that is saying these things. We'll agree to disagree on that. <laughs> but, but – the way that he describes a an Ohio State and talks about how they have this top 25 win, this, you know, 
undefeated, this conference championship, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's like he's literally saying the exact same resume that Cincinnati has. And then a lot of people in, in Indiana where I'm at, they talk about the Hoosiers not getting any respect because the Hoosiers lost to, to Ohio State by a touchdown and beat a Penn State, a Michigan, a Wisconsin. And everyone's response to that is that, well, Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin aren't good this year. Well, they also got removed from their conference title game. You know, it's it's just the whole the whole thing is just so flawed. And I I hate how it's people running it based off their own opinions that are extremely biased, clearly. And then can we also touch on one last thing about Kirk Herbstreet and David Pollock and how he's public enemy number one, right? For for I, the for the state of Cincinnati. Well, I think I think Luke Fickle thinks he's public enemy number one. Kirk Herfrey, that is. You know, yeah. like, like, Chad, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head. Did they – they didn't, you know, cross over at all. Did they, Kirk and, and Luke? No, I don't believe so. Yeah, so it, it was so funny. Luke calling Kirk out saying, well, Joey did a good job backing us up. Because he did. It sounds like we're going to need you to do so. The, the way that Kirk was talking to Joey Galloway, Kirk Herfrey was talking to Galloway, when he was talking about Oklahoma was, was sickening. That, that was what made me turn the TV off where he was like, Joey, Joey, be, be serious with me. You put Oklahoma and Cincinnati on the field together. You're, you're really going to tell me that Oklahoma is going to lose to Cincinnati. I, yeah. I mean, it's like Oklahoma, Herb Street. The, the, here's the amazing mental gymnastics they do. They have erased Oklahoma losing to Kansas State from all memory. memory. Yep. Yeah. That game does not exist. He said it. He said Oklahoma State event or Oklahoma avenged their only loss of the season by beating Iowa State. They they don't that game didn't even happen to them. <laughs> didn't even happen. Because if you talk about it then then it happened. It, it ruins your <laughs> right. face. Well, I mean, you think about it. Oklahoma also had that back and forth game against Texas where they very well could have lost that one. Texas stinks. Texas is bad. You know, you, and you just look at just the Big 12. And like I said, how good is the Big 12? They're not good. You, you cannot judge it. You, you can only judge it based off of seeing names like Oklahoma and Texas and Oklahoma State and Baylor. And- Here's the difference, though, Brent. They actually played out of conference games. Like the yeah. SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12. Right. They didn't play any. Did the ACC? Yeah, They played like one, right? They played one each. They actually played, like that. played the most. They played two if you could get them in. Okay. But – they actually played non-conference games and lost a lot of them. Give me a break with this Big 12 crap. Yeah. What a joke. What a joke. Well, and to go on and discredit right. to go on and discredit Memphis and SMU and Army yeah. as terrible. They're they're not good teams. Come on. I, I even saw the argument that you're really gonna tout UCF as the number two offense in the nation. Well, Statistically, yes. Uh, but we're while with, also they, jumping they, while also jumping Iowa State up for beating a shitty West Virginia team. Yeah, they look great against West Virginia. 
They suck. Right. Congratulations. And and I misspoke about about the ACC. They did just play one out of conference game each. But in in one of those, in one of those was (laughs) sorry, Dad. And and in one of those (laughs) was of course that UCF game where UCF won 49 to 21 against Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech is not good. But it's it's just saying you can't just dis- discredit that. You can't just say, okay, well that's that was nothing because Georgia Tech's not good. Well, okay, does that make UCF good? I mean it should. I don't know. The the whole thing is just it's horrible. And I think uh, I think the the loud majority is really starting to, to come out in full force and, and just say how unfair and, and unethical, really. I, you know, it's, it's getting to the point where I, the G5 could, I don't know, seek seek some sort of extra, not damages, but kind of just be like, okay, this is horrible. Like, like we are literally, there is something that has huge monetary value and huge, you know, promotional value. And you we are just being completely excluded from it. And have a really good case in saying so. I am already nervous about the fact that if we go into Indiana and Notre Dame next year and beat them, they will make sure that they don't sniff the top 25. And so those wins will be discredited and we still won't be allowed to take a seat at the big boy table because it won't matter because we didn't beat good enough teams. I think Indiana's good. Well, They'll be good next year. Really the thing with Notre Dame is they're going to get curb stomped by Alabama. So, and they're losing Ian book and they're losing a lot of guys. That's a, that's a senior laden team. And I don't think at Notre Dame, you're even actually allowed to, to, to come back for a fifth year. Like, like when you graduate from Notre yeah. Dame, that's kind of it. Something like So that. I don't I know think they don't these guys even grad transfers or something yeah, like that. Like there's weird. like, no, I don't think Notre Dame is really going to have an opportunity, even if guys wanted to come back, that they could. So right. you're that narrative that Notre Dame is not good is already like already being the put groundwork's in already the groundwork's yeah. already been done. Yeah, the groundwork is already laid. Like all you got to do is put blacktop on that road. Like this, it's been flattened, it's been leveled. Uh, <laughs> I mean, here's my here's my thing though. It's still Notre Dame. And, sure, at Notre Dame. And and like we're saying, when Notre Dame is ranked, the product of college football is better. So even if Notre Dame has three losses or four losses at the end of the next year, I do believe they will still be top 25. Um, as far as Indiana, I think they're going to be really good. They return a lot of pieces. Penix should be back from his injury, and he should be on fire again. That's actually a scary game on the road. So, um, yeah, but I, I I agree with what you're saying, Aaron. And, I mean, of course, this is me being a, a cynic. This is me being a conspiracy theorist and all that. Yeah. Like, I'll sell in to all of that. That's fine. Label me that. That's me. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's me looking ahead, of course. Um, and, you know, just the same as even if we, you know, we're, we're going to be in the Peach Bowl here. I'm nervous that maybe – they try and duck and all of a sudden Georgia has a COVID breakout and don't end up playing this game. I know there's a lot of money on the line, but if that happens, we don't get to play Georgia. Uh, Of course you also have the, 
well, Georgia didn't, they had guys opt out or, you know, this was a weird season or wasn't really, you know, only 18,000 fans. Excuses will be made. Even if, you know, if, if Cincinnati does indeed win this game, excuses will be made down selling the product. Well, this was, this wasn't even the best SEC team. Well, of course it wasn't, but I mean, you know, it's going to be what it is because it always is the same thing, regardless of what happens. I, I think this is a good time to play Georgia because people are rallying around JT Daniels at quarterback, um, the, the USC transfer, and he's really good, obviously. Um, but I think that storyline really, really boosts the outlook on Georgia. And it's going to make them a lot more difficult to beat, obviously. But I think that's going to make the, the, the clout surrounding the Bulldogs just that much greater. So I don't know. Uh, big win would be reminiscent of Central Florida's win against Auburn um, a couple years ago. And uh, what UCF tweeted today, that little video where they're, you know, Hulk Hogan comes out and he's <laughs> joining forces. I'm, I'm not a big wrestling guy, but I, I loved it where he's NWO. joining forces with other guys. It was the NWO. Yep. And that was awesome. I thought it was really, really cool. But also you saw, I, I thought the ESPN's football. Where, where they have was, like, hugging UCF. Yep, yep. And or, also, I, you saw uh, just like some other funny things, like the Isaiah Thomas thing about the dream team, how he did yep. everything, covered every criteria he was supposed to cover and still wasn't selected. I didn't but, find the fact that ESPN football tweeting them out was funny. I thought it was a slap in the face. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh. Both that one and the UCF hug. I'm just so confused, but hey, you know what? Like, uh, like Fickle and everyone says, it's it's just you know the product on the field. Let that do the talking and um, go from there. So New Year's Day, Peach Bowl, Atlanta, Georgia, twelve noon. I, that is a uh, whew, you know get yourself a mimosa, a little Bloody Mary from the night before, and uh, hair keep, of the dog. Keep keep yeah keep the good times rolling with that hair of the dog. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, we're going to break down that game a lot, lot more, but it's going to be an exciting one. Um, I can't. We'll see. But I think we move on to basketball real quick. Aaron, we were able to watch it um, while it was going on. I did watch it today, uh, much to my dismay, uh, but it was a tough game, of course. Uh, Traveled to Georgia in a game that the Bearcats are actually favored, in a game that Ken Palm picked the Bearcats as a one-point favorite. Numerous times throughout the game, they're down by 20-plus. Shoot two of 17 from three in the first half. Don't do much better the rest of the way. We were. It was still a game. I think it was 22-23. Um, the score was with 22-us, 23-Georgia, with yeah. seven and a half minutes left in the first half. And then Georgia went on some wild and crazy, like, 26-4 run or something yeah. to that effect. And, and that's when this team looked at times incompetent. Uh, just, you know, just simple simple passes that trans, just trans, sail out of bounds. Yeah, transition offense was terrible. Transition defense was terrible. Um, lots of turnovers. The fouling was – it was at least called – it was another SEC home game. Yeah. And the fouls were at least called better than they were against Tennessee. Um, but it was just – this this team was it was not built to run fast, and they tried to play to Georgia's pace, and it was awful. You know, 
this is a Georgia team where their tallest starting player is six foot eight, and he's more of a an athletic guy that that can knock down threes as well. Mm. Probably would would you know project as a as a you know stretch four in in the NBA if it so, were to, to get to that point. So like Atari Eason. Yeah. Uh, yes. Somewhere. Weird. It's like we had and one then, of those, but, <laughs> but didn't start one of those. Well, and then their center is a six foot six transfer from Virginia Tech, and off the bench, their tallest player is six foot eight as well. So when you have a seven foot one player that you know finishes finishes the game with zero points and you know five rebounds against this undersized team, you don't you don't slow down the pace. You don't. You decide to play at this frantic pace, pace first off, and you start Rap and Chris Vote. When you're going up against a team that likes to get up and down the court, yes, you stuck with them during those beginning stages. But I mean, man, if you are struggling from three that mightily, you can't, you just can't keep chucking them. And then outside of that, you you have to figure out a way to stop the dribble drive penetration. I, you know, this is. Georgia did not play anyone with a pulse up to this game. And you let them dictate and do exactly what they wanted the entire game. It's just, it was a tough pill to swallow just tracking it during the game and then watching it again today. But I think the one thing that I can take away is that I I, I think I can almost safely say that Tari Eason is, in fact, the best player on this team. I think that that's a very, very easy statement to make. Um, you saw it. He had some fantastic dunks. He looked like he actually thrived at this pace. Um, I don't know why Saunders didn't see more minutes if we were going to try and play to the pace of, of Georgia. Uh, he seems built for that type of situation. Although, yeah. again, he looked a little bit sloppy when he was yeah, out. I thought he, I thought he looked a little struggling, yeah. Um, but, but the whole team looked sloppy. So I don't know <laughs> if you're going to try and run with them, at least throw your fastest player out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I love Jeremiah Davenport, and I think that his effort and his, his you know, he's trying his hardest out there. He led the team in scoring. He did. 18 points, fantastic. But I get a little nervous about that hot start from deep that he had. You know, it, it just seems like every look he has, he's going to fire it away. One for six, okay. He wasn't the only player, though, who missed five. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking 0-5 from Micah, who, man, Micah's got a – figure out his niche on the team, his role, and and start to do that. 0 for 4 for Keith. I mean, 1 for 5 for DeJulius, and, and that 1 came within the first, like, five minutes of the game. So, yeah, I mean, and you're, and you're looking 24 turnovers. They did Man. at least get 22. Uh, Georgia had 22 themselves. Yes, yes. and But they, they came into the game turning it over a bunch. They we had 17 offensive rebounds, which is fantastic, and could do nothing with the second chance opportunities. If you're rebounding the ball that much offensively, you should be yep. getting putbacks, easy putbacks, or at yep. least resetting up your offense to run a play instead of just again chucking up another three. Yes, and you know that's the thing. Some of those were long, long offensive rebounds as well, and because you look and you see, vote led the team. I don't know. He was actually second on the team behind Davenport. Davenport had five, Vote had four. And for Vote to finish with zero points after he had the four offensive rebounds, you know, it's just, Put I don't up. know. you got to figure out this team quickly because, of course, after Wednesday against South Florida, 
you're kind of just grasping and hoping for some sort of light to show you that 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 everything is going to be all right. And it just you didn't really see too much in the Georgia game. Um, you saw Gabe Madsen get some time. He did. He, I thought he looked pretty pretty aggressive going for defensive rebounds and offensive rebounds. I like seeing that the physicality. He hit um, a three. He hit a corner three in in the uh, waiting seconds. I he had his so they were down. Three, There was no one on the on the on the floor that saw any minutes for Cincinnati that hit more threes than Gabe Madsen. <laughs> that is funny to think about. In seven minutes, yes, and. You know, Harvey fouled out in 14 minutes. It's just Keith fouled out again. I don't know. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see on the road at UCF before the long holiday layoff. Is this team, Aaron? After you watch the game, do you see this team being able to take down a UCF team that just beat Florida State? That you know, obviously struggled pretty pretty mightily on the road at Michigan, but they did start the season off by beating Auburn as well. I mean, this is a team where, you know, coming into the, to the season, you kind of think, okay, I think a win against UCF before you head into the holiday break is almost a guarantee. All of a sudden it's looking like UCF is going to be a very, very difficult game to win. This team's learning on the fly. Obviously John Brandon's still learning rotations uh, of how to even make this team work. You have to consider the fact that, there is only one player left on this team that is a Mick Cronin scholarship player. On top yeah. of that, for, uh, carryovers from last season, um, you have Vote, you have Cumberland, you have um, MAW, and you have Keith. I don't think I'm missing anybody there. Cumberland's not on the team anymore. I'm sorry, not Cumberland, Davenport. I was. It was another long name. It would, it would be cool if, if Cumberland was, but <laughs> – uh, Zach Harvey, another one. Zach Harvey, there we go. Yep. So, so I mean, you you have so many new players. They're still figuring this out. This was a COVID-ravaged offseason. No one's really stepping up as a leader. We we I think we all assumed that Keith would be able to be the guy, and yeah. thus far, he's just not the guy. He can't stay out of foul trouble. Yeah. He has moments where he shines. He's, he's just a guy. That's that's the problem, right? He's right. not the guy. He's just a guy. Well, and unfortunately, right now we don't have any leaders stepping up to be the guy. Right. You know, I here here's the thing. I understand all the new pieces. Georgia had eight new pieces. Georgia lost the number one overall pick. I mean, you're. I mean, this is kind of an, an equal playing field, and you look completely outmatched. I, honestly, I would say that Cincinnati had more returning talent than Georgia did. And I don't know if it's, you know, the, I, I don't want to question the want and desire because I, because I do, do not know any of that. But the, the product on the court was just one team driving with authority, finishing with authority, going for loose balls and, and rebounds with authority, and the other team chucking a lot of threes and trying to figure out how to play through the process there isn't any planet right now on where this this team is justified shooting 33 pointers in a game no they should never be taking that many threes they can't make never. regular shots <laughs> like, they they turned it over 24 times and shot 29 threes that's not how you win a game that uh, it's 
the number of possessions in a game that that consumes is wow. I mean, yeah, it's hard to get your brain around. What fifty three threes? Yeah, it took me a minute to do my public Kentucky public school math. <laughs> or fifty three possessions between twenty four turnovers and twenty nine threes. Fifty three possessions. Yeah. That's you got 17 offensive rebounds and couldn't do anything with them. That's been a, that's been a regular problem that they've been able to get offensive rebounds. They just can't turn them into points. Cincinnati is shooting 24.8% from three, 307th in all of college basketball. No business shooting that many threes going forward. I think the three of us could get close to 24% from three. With... <laughs> I think you're with underestimating, as, with as underestimating many, my shot. With as many opportunities, I don't know, maybe. I mean, that's historically bad. Trevor yeah. Moore would fit right in on this team. You know, the, the quadruple well, and, would fit right in on oh this team. Oh, no. How about uh, – oh, yes, quadruple definitely would. I love quad squad. How but, about Ensisame doing some big things in Georgia Yeah, State. I was about to say that. Man. So, Bill Russell 2.0. It's it's coming to fruition. Like 20 and 20. Get out of here. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, but but here's the thing. Even even in the tough loss, in that little run they had in the second half, I saw glimpses. Again, you always see glimpses with this team where they were, you know, speeding up, uh, just just good on-ball pressure defensively and turning them over and finishing at the rim. Tar Eason was looking great in that comeback. Before you know it, they turned the deficit, I believe it was, what, 22 or 24 at half. They turned that into a 12-point deficit. And then the next couple possessions is kind of just exactly what's going on here. You saw two missed wide-open three-point shot attempts by Cincinnati. You saw two wide-open takes to the lane for Georgia, another an offensive rebound and put back for Georgia. And then before you know it, what was a 12-point deficit all of a sudden gets pushed back to 19. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. Um, can they get it turned around? I think they have pieces that can kind of, you know, hopefully mesh and, and show that they can get it done. It's just is looking, it's looking tough at this point to see it. But I do think that they're, the, the upside of some of the players on the team and upside of the team as a whole, I think you got to look at it and just say, hey, the, you know, the only way they can really go is up from here. And so just string together some wins, starting with Tuesday, and that'll slowly start to get everything back in motion. Yeah, it's – I don't know. I'm with you. I, I'd like to be the eternal optimist with <laughs> both uh, with both Brandon and with, with Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to get out of December because nothing good has come of December for this this team. Yeah, that's what, that's what hurts me is I was so high on this team. And – you know, you were talking I undefeated. Do, I tried to tell. I tried to tell you to chill. <laughs> listen, listen. I I, I do, tried to tell you to chill. I kind of think. Okay, I kind of hear what John Brand was saying as well about the fact of, of the scheduling. You you can't do that kind of scheduling, and it is tough this early in the season. If if you go the route that Georgia did, let your new pieces mesh together, see what comes of that. Who knows. But that's hey, you got to play with the card, you know, the hands you're dealt, and and that's what they've been dealt. Now it's just it just comes to Tuesday trying to write the ship. 
I, like I said, I can't wait to get out of December. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about we close with the happy note? If you guys are done talking about basketball. Um, I did want to point out Michael Warren got called up to the Washington Redskins active squad today. Really? Yep. That was a thing that happened. And then I think everybody saw the, uh, the Trey Scott news where he signed with the, yes. uh, the Utah jazz. So I did want to point those two things. Which I think is a great team to sign with. The jazz are one of those teams that analytical, they realize roles that that players can fill and, I mean, Trey has a distinct role that he could fill, and I, 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 I like the move, definitely. It's how Gary started down in uh, Orlando on, you know, one of these give a guy a chance. So Let's just hope he doesn't get Leangela bald and dropped five days later Oof, for no bad luck. real apparent reason. Uh, probably because he was a ball. <laughs> but um, one other thing I thought was awesome that happened earlier this week, and it's already been touched on, numerous podcasts and things like that was just the fact of how cool signing day was, um, you know, in, in the midst of a pandemic and, you know, stay at home and, you know, kind of a obvious strange circumstances, uh, the, the, the social media department, the media department, everyone just knocking it out of the park again. You know, you, you've got the trio of Chad Bowden and Austin Schaefer and Pat Lambert just creating just hilarious and, and fun videos to track. And then, you know, signing just a fantastic class as well. I, I think that it was just all in all, just a home run on Wednesday. Chad did a great job with his uh, podcast with, with both Freeman and Denbrock. And I, I mean, we always have to touch on recruiting a little bit because it is truly a very bright spot when sometimes certain things with the Bearcats, a little doom and gloom, which is the basketball team right now, but hey, football <laughs> recruiting always on fire. And uh, Wednesday was just awesome. I agree. Uh, even the outtake video was hilarious where yeah. you caught a uh, coach Luke Fickle um, saying Cincinnati Bengals instead of Bearcats. He couldn't even believe that he did that at one <laughs> point. Um, and then uh, just the way that he laughed about announcing his own son. Yeah. Yeah. He said, do I really have to say that? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously the class is great within itself. It's been broken down, you know, Freeman and, and, uh, and uh, Denbrock both did that very well. Luke did it very well in his press conference as well. But, you know, it's it's just awesome to see just the just the forward trajectory that everything's going. And, and the fact is this, you know, you're talking about Cincinnati not having the players that stack up to these other schools. I, I mean, they're ranked above Auburn, Virginia Tech, Iowa State, UCLA, Arizona State, TCU. That's just, you know, that's the six of the, of the 25 he, that they're ranked ahead. What he was saying was, they don't look like Alabama or Ohio State. No shit. Right. Exactly. There's only two programs, three programs that look like that, that. Look like that. Right. Right. So they look like the other, you know, ninety-five percent of the Power Five, but they yeah. don't look like the three teams that don't look like anybody else. And then that fourth team is the one that gets a shot in the playoffs. Right. Right. So. Guess the what? whole thing's Notre, flawed. Notre Dame doesn't look like those guys either. No, they got a couple, but every team does. I so, tell, so you tell me you're going to look at Lawrence Metz and say this guy looks like he could Dude. be the starting left tackle for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Did you see him in the in the in the championship picture of that, that Brian Baker had? I said put it in the Louvre, where Dez is kissing the trophy and Metz is taking up half of the picture. He's this much, he's his head is above everybody else, 
and his arms are stretched out <laughs> enough that he's covering five people. Put it in the Louvre. What a great – Brian does an awesome job. That is an all-time picture from Brian Baker. Yes. All-time. All-time. Definitely. Can I, I – Can are you, are you guys done? Um, I am done, yes. I wanted to apologize for anybody – who may have been uh, experiencing Aaron being a little too... Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Is, this a, is this a public address announcement? Yeah, I did want to say, uh, just sorry. Emergency press conference. Take it away, Aaron. Who caught Aaron being a little too after dark on after dark, so just wanted <laughs> to throw that out there. It was, it, was, it was the night after the first undefeated season in 11 years. I forgive you. The Thanks first so conference championship since 2009. Yeah. Think about what you were um, doing in 2009. This is really depressing, I know. Oh, but I'm going to end it on this. Um, if you can, go to uh, at John John TV underscore uh, a good friend of mine, Laura Powell, uh, who I worked with in radio for a long time, lost her battle with Crohn's disease yesterday morning. Her two young boys found her. Um, John John, who's... Uh, who was her radio co-host when I worked at Q102, set up a GoFundMe. Um, so if you can, check it out. It sucks, man. Yeah. Can you can you say that website again, Chad? It, it, it's a Twitter account. Go to at John John, J-O-N, J-O-N, TV underscore. It's John John. He used to be the afternoon host on Q102. Uh, he works for Channel 9 now. He was Laura's partner. Uh on afternoons for a long time and uh two kids man like two young kids to find your mom uh it just it sucks fucking sucks yeah but if you can check it out uh laura was awesome she used to always love when kelsey was a toddler and would stop by the radio station and She'd let her play on the air and, you know, she was, she was good people. So if you can check it out and help out the family, help out two young boys that unfortunately lost their mom yesterday. Thank you for that. That's that's me being soft, but that's not soft. That's, that's strong in my eyes. I know it is what it is. Sucks. Found out last night on my way home. Yeah. That it happened. So that's awful. It is. It's terrible. I, yeah. I, but didn't mean to put a complete damper on the, the back end of the podcast. But, you know, hey, you if did. you can help out her family, if you can help out her family, you know, do what you can. It would be much appreciated. Right. You can take us, you can take us home now. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I thank you for that, Chad. I, it, it just brings back just what sports do. Um, obviously, you mentioned Luke Fickle. You mentioned just the lives that he's touched and everything. And obviously sports brought her into your life as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, just reading through this, Laura Powell, it's, yeah, it's a very, uh, thank you for sharing that. And of course, check it out if you can, guys. And uh, the, the connections you build in sports are unparalleled. And uh, this is just seems like another one. So it brought us together. It did. 
it did. Don't, even, don't remind me. <laughs> even if you, yeah, Chad will go into a whole different set of emotions with that. <laughs> don't, after last night, you better. What's the, the old Snoop song? Lay low. I mean, <laughs> yes. don't, don't, don't. It seems, <laughs> don't, don't, it seems fitting don't, considering don't. I was drinking Snoop wine. So hey, there you go. Wine, the wine man. Fantastic. Well, hey, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap, wrap it up. Thanks for that, Chad. Uh, Aaron, anything before we shut this one down? I think we're covered, man. All righty. Well, yet again, guys, the Bearcats, Cincinnati, 2020 AAC champions. Luke Fickle does it. Everything is looking up. We'll see you again next Sunday. We'll touch on, of course, the weekend recap and a little look at what to expect from the Georgia Bulldogs that in the Beach Bowl. So uh, big time coming. Make sure to stay locked into Bearcat Journal all throughout. Let's hope that yesterday wasn't uh, a preview of Georgia Cincinnati. <laughs> if that's if that's what Georgia does want, to Cincinnati, I'm not feeling good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah let's, let's, have, let's have a much different outcome. <laughs> Georgia Cincinnati Part Two. Let's let's hope yeah. it's a lot better. But uh, for uh, for Aaron Smith, Redemption. And Chad Redemption, right? That's Redemption. the story. Redemption, Redemption tour. for the basketball team. There we go. there we go. One community, one family. <laughs> But uh, for Chad Brendel, Aaron Smith, I am Brent Young. This is the BBP podcast here. Oh, no, BBP. That's in there on BearcatJournal.com. Sure.